podcast. Hello, 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 <laughs> this is hello. Matthew Kiva with my co-host. Leslie Stokes. And it is, well, we're recording on May 26th, but you'll be listening, I believe, on May 30th, I guess. Um, and I apologize if I'm a little slow today. Oh, Matt's uh, not feeling very well. <laughs> yesterday was <laughs> National Wine Day. I didn't, I didn't know this. Uh, oh. I came home and there was a, a significant amount of, of, of red wine that was purchased because apparently like there's a big push at the liquor store it's wine day so i had a dinner party things went you know how <laughs> how they usually go how they go and, and, and i'm a little on the slow on the uptick today but we'll <laughs> we'll be okay we'll power through we'll power through uh so yeah we have uh quite a bit of exciting stuff today we'll be uh extending our lithium discussion we did last week because leslie has a big update for us on that um, we'll be looking at there's quite a bit of stuff going on macro wise uh especially in terms of gold there's been a lot of movement recently copper's up a little bit um and then a few things uh political things around the world uh some questionable mining laws in colombia just got changed around it's looking a little bit frightening um we'll talk a little bit about again we mentioned uh Sentara and the kumpur thing in the kyrgyz republic this keeps snowballing and something's ha- again has happened to them uh just today i think that came down the newswire um and then yeah we'll talk about uh, specifically one company in the lithium space pure energy who you spoke with um and i'm going to talk a little bit about oban mining because i attended their uh they just had a kind of a investor presentation this past week and i had some interesting kind of little snippets that people might want to cool. hear about them uh because that's the big uh Ex-Cisco team, so they got all the uh, big guns, Ned Goodman, Sean Rosen. Uh, I talked to John Brzezinski, who's the president and CEO, so I have some cool stuff on that. But uh, So there's a little rundown on the show. Um, <laughs> but uh, let's start with, uh, as usual, our metal and uh, commodity prices, and we'll just talk a little bit about why gold's so down. Um, gold's in the red, just like that. Yeah, it's, uh, I think it was near a seven-week low we're talking here. So um, when I walked into studio, we had gold at $1,220.65 an ounce. So that's far off. We nearly touched 1300 last three weeks ago or a month. So uh, what's happening? Well, we talked about this a bit last week. The The Federal Open Market Committee is just, they just reckon everybody, these guys. They're leading expectations one way, all of a sudden it's another. So now it's looking like, we could see two rate hikes this year, interest rate hikes, which, as we know, kind of kills, you know, kills the uh, demand for bullion because gold doesn't pay any interest. So <laughs> higher interest rates, you know, you might want to diversify. Um, so uh, U.S. jobless figures, uh, the, the it, it was at its lowest level in seven weeks, but we rounded a little bit because the U.S. jobless figures that came out today were not as good as people expected. And a lot of the gold bulls, this is what you're going to hear, is like, the U.S. economy, and you've heard me say this on this show, is a little smoke and mirrorsy. Like it's mm-hmm. like it's maybe not as healthy as as some of the figures suggest. Um, so when it does underperform, then they'll have to pull back on rates. But uh, I did mention uh, last week that that Scotiabank keeps this hilarious like running odds of when a rate hike is coming. Yes, yeah, you yeah. That. So they they had to uh, they had to. Uh, change it again um because uh speculation that uh the federal reserve will increase borrowing costs as early as next month um so now the odds of an increase in june are now at 34 percent. and just so everyone <laughs> knows that it was 32 percent last week so it's up two percent based on some uh 
some voodoo that the markets do. You know, I keep getting this visual right, right now in my head of Bob Barker on The Price is Right, yeah. and he's spinning that big wheel, yeah, and, and they've yelling, got those like yeah. like numbers with sparkly bits all over. Like That's what I'm seeing in my head of right the now. Price is Right ever? It's about interest rates. People, are just yeah. like, oh, what is it? What is this? Right. It's a bunch of people guessing interest rates. This is horrible. Yeah. So interesting. So yeah. So. Uh, June, like we said, is probably a long shot. A lot of what I'm hearing from the market is, is June is a long, like it would take, I think I said last week, like a U.S. economic miracle for them to hike rate, uh, rate interest rates in June. But uh, Scotiabank says um, the kind of it, banking sector now has it about even that it, they'll be hiked by July. So mm. probably a 50-50 um, that we see, do see um, a rate hike in July. And then uh, market participants are also saying, and this is verbatim, that they expect two rate hikes now in the second half of this year. So we went from, I don't think anyone really knows. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be honest. Like, yeah. it, like it changes every week. There's this crazy statistical, I don't know what this is based on. Maybe they have like a survey that like all the analysts fill out once a week. Like what, if you had to... <laughs> If you had to prescribe an arbitrary percentage to the likelihood of an interest rate hike in the next eight weeks, what would it be? And the most popular answer appears to be 34%. So, anyway, so that's, so that's what we got on gold. So keep an eye on the uh, FOMC, Federal Open Market Committee. They're pretty much, from what I can tell, releasing statements on like a daily basis now. Maybe can put the poor analysts at Scotiabank have to like change their odd tables like every yeah, just two seconds. So of some funny stuff. Turn um, that wheel. So we do ha- we did have that uh, significant pullback in gold. Like we said, it's it had six straight days of losses heading in today, lowest in seven weeks. Um, some of the interesting stuff uh, that's happened is we look at gold equities, right? Um, they actually haven't contracted quite as much. Some of them have. Um, one of the ones Scotia noted was that Kinross has pulled back 23% in a few weeks, mostly on sector profit taking, uh, and that's only based on a 5% pullback in gold price. So one of the things we mentioned... Um, Last week is depending on your personal outlook on gold, you could view this as a buying the dip situation and maybe look for some, you know, as they say, profit taking. So some people selling off the top on big gains in the first quarter. Um, So maybe, you know, like depending on how you feel about gold and how dovish or hawkish you think the FMOC is going to be over the rest of the year, uh, any short term dip in bullion prices and corresponding dip in equities I've heard people say there might be opportunities. So, mm. not a stock, not a stock picker, but hey, <laughs> there's some, there's some some jazz ran- hands, jazz hands. <laughs> random random investment. He's actually uh, giving me jazz hands. By me the way. opining on on investment <laughs> randomly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, and then uh, copper is actually up a little. Uh, it's following crude oil upwards uh, as it as an propensity to do. Uh, copper's at two dollars and ten cents per pound when I walked into studio. So better than two bucks. That's not as good as three, but uh, it's, it's <laughs> still stuck in that endless cycle. And then, uh, as we noted, West Texas Intermediate for a number of reasons. Uh, the Fort McMurray fires, um, uh, a fall in, I think, uh, I read there's a fall in uh, U.S. reserves, oil reserve, or, or yeah, a fall in U.S. oil reserves. So oil's up a bit based on supply concerns, essentially. So oil's up around that $50 barrel mark, and some of the numbers I've seen is, It'll be at 60, 60 plus by the end of the year. So interesting to watch that as it moves along. Um, so yeah, let's uh, let's tackle our 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 lithium uh, our lithium subject right off the bat because I we had some good comments last week on that that people were kind of happy we did like kind of a one on one thing. So what Leslie's done, and we'll uh, we'll only get into it lightly because it's kind of a as you said 
big article. Ooh. Yeah. Um, so we'll get, get into ready. a little bit. Yeah. So I'm going to let you kick it off because you've done all the research and I can, uh, I can chip in here because I know a little bit about it, but yeah, you yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's get right into the lithium because it is a hot topic. Lithium 101. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in any sort of boom cycle, everything can just kind of come in in a flurry. Yeah. And we're often in a state more in a confusion and excitement than knowing kind of what to do with ourselves. And so, yeah, this Lithium 101 article, like I said, it's it's, it's a big one. It's mm-hmm. like 2,000 words or more. Yeah, that'll do it. And yeah. <laughs> But it's cool because I'm really excited about it because it really breaks down what lithium deposits are all about, what are some of the major players out there, what kind of production numbers are kind of going right now, and what kind of long-term forecasts that can accord uh, genuity, Mm -hmm. I can't pronounce that right, Um, what what they forecast is seeing too. So, I mean, do check out the article when it comes out next week. It's going to be awesome. Um, I did catch up with Don Robinson, and he's the COO of Pure Energy. Yep. And he's a geochemist, PhD, he's worked 10 years in groundwater, and he's like, I sat down with him for coffee, and we spoke for an hour, and he was, and it was all him speaking, you so know? So he, he's an engineer, sorry, right, or is he? Oh, he's a geologist, he's, he's a, a geochemist, oh, nice. he's a doctorate oh, wow. oh, a in geochemistry, okay. oh yeah. yeah, and so like, yeah. this guy, he knows what he's talking about, yeah. and I just sat there and absorbed everything he said like a sponge, and and so he kind of gave a bit of a breakdown on on these things, and um, oh, also gave me an update on their project, which is down the Clayton Valley Clayton South, Valley, yeah. which is Clayton Valley, Nevada, right next to Albemarle's Silver Peak Mine, which yep. is the only North American producer, lithium producer. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, and he basically described, look, there's three ma- major types, yep. right? Just to kind of we get talked go. about uh, Brian Spodumene, I think. There's last week Brian Spodumene, yeah. um, which occur in pegmatites. Yeah. And then you have clay deposits. Now, pegmatites are kind of cool because, like, there's one, like, pegmatites are, it's basically a granite, but, like, super, super coarse-grained granite. Okay. I mean, these crystals are, like, so huge, it's, like, Costco size. (laughs) I mean, they're massive. It's like you get... Many different chip flavors <laughs> yeah. in one box. And so the reason, one thought, reason why like they're so huge is because the lithium actually lowers the cooling temperature oh, okay. of the melt, which allows the crystals more time to grow, which I thought was kind of rad. Very a little cool. bit of like a hot geo like trivia fact. Chemistry facts. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. It. And yeah. so, and then of course, like the major producers right now is green bushes down in, in Australia. Yeah. And there's, uh, what is it? what's the other big one? Or the guys that just tal... Uh, That's Taliesin. Taliesin yeah. has not, the... They're, not, uh, they're green bushes. They're private, though. Yeah. They were, deli- they were well, taken private. They used to be listed on the TSX That's and ASX, right. but they're not anymore. Um, but So maybe, uh, why is it that most of these uh, pigmentite deposits are in Australia? Versus, or are there, can you find them elsewhere? And yeah, you, Quebec cause, is cause, another yeah, one. Yeah, Quebec, right? there's, there's Namaska lithium, and, and all, right? So mm-hmm. what's the geological, like, what, it, what, what are the conditions that sort of lead to them being located in very specific, it seems like, areas? Maybe it's just kind of like, I don't, I don't know specifically yeah. if there's specific ages linked to these pegmatites. Okay, okay. Um, But there are, it probably depends on, like, you know, some sort of, like, major stable craton and stuff. Because I find that, like, I find that really, because it seems older. like the hard rock ones, are, like, the brine ones are obviously... Obviously, also pretty geographically, like you, you see very Nevada, geographically constrained, and then in a lot of the the altitude in in South America, right? Yeah, uh, Argentina is often touted as probably like the number one brine country. Totally. So the brines mostly yeah. are produced in South America, and they are really geologically constrained and such. Okay. But they need to be in like 
an arid environment yep. and in a closed basin where the water right. is not flushing in and diluting everything. Everything's just been like stewing or evaporating slowly, surely over millions and millions and millions of years in order to concentrate that lithium. Okay. And then lithium loves being in solution. So it's just floating about in these little groundwater systems, not really doing anything and concentrating over time. Yep. And so it's basically groundwater mining that they're doing. Exactly. In situ, like, yeah. And yeah. like, of course, with Don, he was saying like, the one thing is that I thought that was super interesting about these, um, about these brine deposits that they account for 51% of global lithium carbonate equivalent production. Okay. And so they, they extract out all this um, groundwater and then they flush it out onto these salt flats just to let it evaporate. Nice. Did you know it takes about a year for that to evaporate before they can start harvesting this that? This is and an interesting. Uh, I talked. It's crazy. I, uh, I've, I've spoken with Simon Morris, who's with uh, Benchmark Mineral Intelligence. They do yeah. a lot. Uh, we've, we've mentioned some before. They do some cool stuff on, on lithium hydroxide and carbonate price decks and stuff um but yeah that's one of the things he mentioned to me is is to keep in mind that uh the hard rock mines cost more to build so much more to build get, and operating costs too but they can get into production really a lot quicker than the yeah. stuff because of what you just mentioned where there's a turnaround on, on it's the a year per, and yeah, that production. that's and that's in yeah. favorable conditions in south america and nevada it takes about two years oh really i didn't know that yeah it sometimes it can because it's a little bit cooler temperatures now thing, say yeah. if you get a random yeah. rainstorm it's like shabam you're starting at the beginning again oh so they're really at the mercy of weather and not only that but permitting and governments like who wants to have thousands of acres spoiled by a salt flat like even though granted it's already in a bit of a desert anyway yeah but like don was saying that there's these poor little birds floating around they're crystallized and they oh look God. like little christmas decorations because you know they're kind of floating around in this thing and i said to him i was like gosh you must be pretty thirsty and like maybe they want a beer <laughs> you sit back but yeah so it's environmentally not a that nice pretty longer. So it takes, yeah. not only does it take a year or two years to actually get a uh, product, yeah. but like you're also destroying um, quite a bit of land and, and it's just so timely. And so the I cool would... thing he was talking about, which could revolutionize brine deposits yeah. is new technology. Mm -hmm. I mean, let's face it, lithium is like the technology metal, you know, it's gonna really propel us forward. Like why are we using this 1960s form of technology of evaporation ponds yeah. to mine this? And so they're working on something now where they're gonna go from maybe a two year production time for taking lithium out to eight hours. Wow, well that would right? change the game. I mean, that's, it's that interesting. Would change Every the game. time I talk to anyone who's uh, associated with a specific company in lithium, yeah. they always have like proprietary technology. Yeah, like that's one of the things that's like our thing. The way we're doing it is like, well, with different with than Don was saying that it's not proprietary. It's going to be basically available to anybody, but it no, puts nice. them two years ahead of the game. Oh, okay. Right. So yeah. they're they're doing yeah. these mini test pilot plants, and I was talking to Reg Spencer from Canaccord, and he was like, "Look, you know, it's a big risk to our supply forecast, mm. but right now nothing has been proven to be commercialized." And I'm yeah. thinking to myself, man, if this does get online, this is going to be a big game changer because most of the production of lithium we're going to start seeing come online, maybe you know, the next five years or so is going to be in all the hard rock deposits, right? Yeah. And so, and then there's gonna be like a 400,000 ton LCE um, deficit by 2025, they say, or something like that. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we're gonna need to have these lithium deposits come online and what better way to do it than just suck it out of water and um, have it within eight hours of doing that. And and interestingly, you did mention Canaccord. I receive their their lithium updates regularly. They had another one today. Cool. Um, but uh, they're they're doing. I don't know if they're hosting it, but the Industrial Minerals Eighth Lithium Supply and Markets Conference kicked off in Las Vegas. I don't know if it was yesterday, maybe today. One of those two. Uh, but anyways, one of the companies that I always I'm trying to get 
an interview with them actually for the specials or a Cobra um, because they're one of the newer oh, yeah, uh, they producing are. Uh, players out there and they have the yeah. Olaraz, um, um, I It's a Brian. Yeah, and they're doing some sort of expansion on Yeah, yeah, interesting stuff. So they did have some preliminary uh, production figures here. Just um, So uh, in April, uh, they exceeded 1,000 tons of lithium carbonate, uh, which puts the operation on track to meet uh, a guidance of 3,000 tons. Um, I guess this is per month, right? Yeah. Um, so just interestingly, and, and it, uh, they were able to achieve um, the, the lithium grade. Uh, or the iron battery grade lithium, which is like ninety percent, ninety nine percent, ninety nine percent, yeah. Which is funny. So like which is a lot good. of a lot of this stuff um, reminds me of when we were talking in twenty twelve about graphite. Yeah. And everyone's like purity, man, purity. But it's uh, so it's so interesting stuff. So um, we'll, we will look at Oracle because they're actually one of the I think the newest producer. Yeah, I think they're right on Canaccord's list so, of being one of the yeah, ones that are going to be. And the other producing. one that they always mention is Galaxy. Galaxy uh, down in Australia. They're, they're Australian. Um, yeah. yeah, so yeah. interesting. It's really interesting because there is a big presence for this stuff on the ASX. And so there we is. Might, There's yeah, so many. We might not hear as much about that stuff. Yeah. I was also talking to uh, Guy Barassa, who is with Mascolithium, who's doing the Wabuchi uh, project in Quebec. The Hard Rock one. Yeah. yeah, and they think they should be able to be in production late next year, probably. And they're, uh, they obviously have the added benefit, and we'll talk a little bit about this when I get into a ban of Cisco, of operating in Quebec. So the Quebec government and the funds are are involved there. Um, so yeah, interesting stuff. And I mean, um, did you talk a little bit? I, one of the things I was hoping, I'm sure it's in the article, is at the actual processing, like you said, like it's evaporation, right? But like, there's got to, what sort of, what could complicate or cause problems with lithium recoveries. I've heard that if it has high calcium Oh, right. Content, yeah, there is. That yeah. it can give you trouble, but I'm just wondering any sort of. I did yeah. kind of mention it, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, if you have any sort of dissolved solids, which isn't normally reported, especially for exploration and stuff, if you have magnesium, okay. strontium, yeah. calcium, um, boron, I think, th this sort of stuff is kind of floating around the water too. Okay. Okay. And it just kind of clogs up the whole process because you have to strip that out, Yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so that's always one one deterrent uh, with brines, but okay. it's certainly manageable. Okay. And again, the technologies are improving and stuff are over improving, time. Are improving, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. That's yeah, interesting. It's, so, it could be a huge game changer, did, I reckon. Um, did you get a, 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 you mentioned you also got an update on their specific project, right? Like what they're doing down in, Yeah. I had heard that they got hit kind of hard. Yeah, the, the share price got a little bit whacked on because totally whacked, they yeah. missed to the south their drilling, or what was it that happened? But this is weird because they had put out an inferred resource last year on okay. their Clayton Valley South. Let me pull out that number here. They said they have a estimated inferred 816,000 tons of LCE between, you know, 37 milligrams a liter to 370 milligrams per liter. Yep. Um, that's like parts per million, basically. And and that's kind of like 370, 500 is your average brine. That's kind of what you want, my life. Well, they, they say, the, the, he said that, you know, 500 milligrams a liter is kind of what analysts ex expect. Okay. Right? And so yep. that's what they kind of, and so you see all these new ones coming online that are about 500, 700. I now, see. the thing is that with this new technology, seriously, you can still extract lithium out of brine mm -hmm. profitably at around 20. Wow. So, I mean, it really lowers a threshold of what's... So who, it's who, like, are they developing this in, in conjunction with uh, Tenova Bateman Technologies oh, okay. Okay, cool. and the steel maker Posco. So they do have a... Oh, the Korean... Uh, 
Korean conglomerate. Possibly. Yeah, so they're all okay. kind of working together to do some test runs okay. and stuff. Yep. So again, big game changer. Now the thing is with Pure Energy, they um, they they drilled and they got really consistent lithium grades, and then they had this really spectacular looking seismic section that goes to the basin, and they could see where the groundwater horizon yeah, is. It would be and just, then they extrapolated yeah. it about yeah. 15 kilometers and said, I know, right? Yeah. And I said, is that normal for you guys to do that? Because we can't do this in Hard Rock. In hard and he's rock, like, yeah. it actually is. Like people yeah, do yeah. all the time, like look at oil and gas. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, you do do that with oil. Yeah, gas. so yeah. understandable. So then they were like, okay, well, 15 kilometers, this is the inferred resource. And then they did some follow-up drilling. They stepped out six kilometers. Yeah, and it wasn't, right? it wasn't there. Right? They hit a geothermal system. Oh, okay. And now the geothermal system is also thought to introduce lithium, right? But it's yeah. a point of dilution. He says, maybe we hit a fault and there happens to be a geothermal okay. thing coming up. Okay. But at the end of the day, they wanted to make that news material to the shareholders because it significantly impacts their inferred so resource. that was played out on the market a little bit. And that's why their stock dropped. Okay. okay. So they still haven't drilled further to the north, further to the south. Anyway, f further beyond that. So, okay. I mean, it could still open up they again and maybe it was further. a really localized geothermal system. Okay. But right now they're going to be focusing on their resource in the north because it just keeps going and going at depth. So there, and he says, look, it doesn't matter how deep you go in these systems. It's not like gold deposits where you're like, oh no, you found a gold deposit <laughs> two kilometers depth. Who yeah. cares? Yeah. Lithium is totally different. Yeah. Like you can still keep keep that depth going i'm talking on and on about this and i it's love good. it yeah, because yeah, yeah. it's so cool like i don't know just i got the total lowdown that combined with the canaccord report really just made for a pretty um pretty good article because it's hard finding good information out there about yeah lithium. i mean it's starting to come like you're seeing more coverage from the institutional side and you're seeing yeah. more uh more analysts working on it but yeah it, it is relatively uh i wouldn't say new i mean back back in two people forget we had like a huge boom well like mini lithium boom in 2009 right yeah and that's a lot right. of these a lot of that's these when pure energy got in yeah a lot of these companies pure energy lithium americas i believe namaska are actually holdovers from the previous sort of little mini rush when you know renewable energies and stuff started to sort of surface and we looked at graphite subsequently had a little bit of a run and all that kind of stuff but it's funny because i talked to a lot of these companies and they're like man yeah it was, it was pretty <laughs> tough there in the uh <laughs> through like 20 2012 2013 we were getting just like and if you do look at the share performance of all these companies they would they just got smashed right if you if you had the foresight or wherewithal you could have made a freaking fortune on some of these <laughs> yeah. if you'd actually bought them a year even a year ago um but uh yeah so it's funny so a lot of them have are actually holdovers from what happened in 2009 so a lot of the advanced projects are like well we're not this isn't new yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're like we've been doing this for like six years and i'm like yeah okay fair enough fair that's that's a good point so uh, that's another thing to look at if you are looking at researching or getting involved in some way investment wise or otherwise in the lithium space is that um well it's a very hot topic there's a lot of uh experts and people who've been in it for nearly a decade so interesting and interesting people to talk to so yeah do uh do ring the companies up because they're always ready to to chat about their projects yeah. right? so, but it is it's it's cool so yeah we just wanted to kind of lead into our special which is what next week is next week next yeah. friday mm -hmm. um so yeah check that out we'll have uh leslie's massive uh lithium 101 article uh, I'll be doing some coverage on Oracobre. Uh, we have a bunch of really fun stuff for that. And also, if you want to look back a little bit into our archives, which is a great 
reason to have a subscription, by the yeah, way. Yeah, totally. So, so you, cheap. Do well. search over <laughs> grab a subscription. Are so cheap. You can also just search for all the lithium projects you want through our mining uh, Canadian Mines handbook. And I tell you what, like our tip. articles too, swear to God, because like I always have to research stuff and sometimes I look at other people's articles. Yeah. And I mean, there's no better place to get information. And I'm not saying this because I'm biased. Like, <laughs> We're not biased. I'm, I'm just saying it's like when I go yeah. to like research some stuff, I, I just go straight to the Northern Miner and your yeah. previous articles and I just say, okay, that's where we left off. That's all exactly. the information. Well, yeah, that, that's what makes it the best. That's what and makes it the uh, best. so there is, uh, I did some very recent coverage on Namaska in there. Oh, cool. Uh, so yeah. So if people want to check that out, just. Search Namaska in our little search box and you'll find an article I think I wrote about a month ago. Same with uh, some coverage on Lithium Americas, um, who I think Selma is covering again for the special, but I'm, I can't quite recall off the top of my head. Right. So there is a lot of recent coverage on all these companies. So if you want to take a look, um, at mostly we've touched on the more established players, guys with uh, guys and girls with advanced stage projects that are looking more so at sometimes permitting, sometimes financing, offtake agreements, which are something we didn't really touch on here, but right. is, are really important. Yeah, with yeah. Uh, with a lot of these projects is, is um, establishing some sort of economic partnership for the product downstream. So you uh, talk to uh, battery builders. Everyone's talking about the big Tesla Gigafactory in Nevada. That's yeah. the other big thing. Everyone wants a wants an agreement with them, right? Uh, Tesla is really back in pure energy on this new tech, by the way. Yeah, that's right. That's like, right. They've They're been offering personnel, and they've been like offering yeah. everybody well, to like, like get this done. It would be done. a good thing for them because they they need it, right? <laughs> yeah, well, they, they get the battery. Like yeah, they, they exactly. get everything they need for the battery. Yeah, yeah. It's like shabam, thanks. Three hour drive away. You know, just yeah, exactly. toss well, in a battery, so, like, stick that's into the a thing car. In Nevada too, it's like everything's on a road. So yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so do check out our, our lithium uh, coverage next week. There'll be lots of uh, fun and uh, interesting stuff in there. Um, so yeah, so let's take a quick little uh, detour down political lane here because Ooh. I'm gonna cut. There's a two two. There's lots so of what, potholes in that lane. Yo, like so potholes, many? I'd call them like deadly pits. There's like moose. Landmines. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> moose. Yeah, actually, that's the most dangerous. It might be as dangerous as a landmine. Do the not noofy pothole. M- mooses are meese. Mooses. Me- mooses. <laughs> Shoot. All right. So, mooses. I love it. Yeah, yeah they're dangerous. No, they're, they kill, like, uh, there's some stat about them that they kill more uh, people in traffic accidents than like. Especially in Newfoundland. Eh? Yeah, so like I think it's a it's definitely a jurisdictional thing because I don't think it happens like in Vancouver. Oh, there's but, so but, many moose uh, in like up north. It's like crazy. yeah, in northern BC you'll see a lot of uh, mises running around. Mises. Um, so so I'm gonna do. There's a couple couple uh, outstanding political issues here that are kind of interesting, um, especially if you're uh, involved a in Centera Gold or b have um, any involvement in Colombia. Now. Colombia is an interesting jurisdiction. Um, when I had Trish on, we sort of touched on um, Argentina and how it has very independent federalism, which means provinces or states have a lot more power vis-a-vis the central government um, in terms of permitting and stuff like that. So um, we were talking about how the new government in Argentina is going to have a little bit of a challenge getting everybody on side with the pro-mining idea because a lot of the areas of Argentina are a little bit, you know, don't have that much experience with extractive industries and might be a little bit anti-mining. So anyways, uh, in relation to Colombia, it's kind of interesting. Colombia has a similar um, situation. And what just happened in Colombia is uh, has pretty big ramifications if you have a project down there. But again, it's really dependent on where your project is. So what happened was Colombia's constitutional court, uh, this was on Wednesday, so yesterday, May 26th, 25th or 26th? <laughs> I can't remember what date it is today. It's, it was on the 25th. Okay. Um, so on, uh, on the 25th, Columbia's constitutional court struck down a law which requires mining permits be issued exclusively by the national government. Mm. So the 
implications of this is that um, it could open the way for provincial and local authorities to restrict mining in their areas. So even, even if the central government gives you a permit, a mayor could come in and be like, we don't want to mine here. So that's just... Uh, and how often are the mayor elected? Do this, you know? Like it's, it's, again, it's like Colombia is very... Uh, like I know in Antigua where... Um, I love Antigua. I was there. Uh, Red Eagle is building the San Ramon deposit. They have a long history of underground mining, but not open pit mining. So one of the reasons... Red Eagle went underground was because uh, the local authorities have a lot of experience permitting underground operations. So they were uh, really comfortable with it and they were like, okay, but if they were going to build an open pit mine, they're like, no, you got to go talk to the central government because we don't even know what the frick an open pit mine is. Yeah. So Red Eagle successfully permitted down there and they did it strategically by, by turning the deposit, which eh, if you look at it from an engineering standpoint, probably should have been mined underground anyway. Like it's, it looks, looks like it'll work really well for them, but now it's really, you're going to have to go case by case and look at each company and be like, where are they? Uh, what's the nearest city? What's the, um, you know, what's the regional government look like? Do they like mining? What is their stance? Do they have a history of? Because even if you can get a central government permit, it, this may, we don't know for sure. This is just like, now it's it's kind of like one of those scary things. Where everyone's like, oh, yeah. where's your project? Where's your project? That's not a golden brick road, <laughs> yeah. my friend. Yeah, so not a um, golden brick road. Yeah, yeah. So interesting. So do take a look at this. It's 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 literally not quite breaking, but it broke yesterday. Um, so uh, there there was what this did was it was there it was in terms of a 2001 law which forbid regional and local authorities from declaring certain areas off limit to miners. Um, and it put the national government in charge of permit approvals, right? Um, now, <laughs> this is just absolutely puts everything in a gray area again, I would imagine. Like, now the, the central government's like, well, we had this law, but this court, constitutional court said it's... Yeah. So now, so interesting. So there's one of the sociopolitical uh, <laughs> highlight reels of the day. So if you do have uh, some stake in Columbia or you're working on something down there, take a look. Yeah. Because it's a uh, really important, uh, really important socio license type deal that's going on down there right now. Um, I might actually take a look at it for an article. We'll see who I can get on the phone. But uh, interesting stuff. The other one, uh, jumping across the world to uh, Sentara in the Kyrgyz Republic with their Kumtor mine. We have talked about this quite a bit recently <laughs> because they keep getting really like it's just kind of chaotic. So I think it was about a couple of weeks ago their their corporate offices in Kyrgyzstan got raided, which apparently happens once a year or something. <laughs> what I gather. Um, so now what happened was um, uh, the Bish uh, Bishkek Interdistrict Court in the Kyrgyz Republic ruled against um, Sentara's subsidiary. On an environmental claim by the uh, by the state, um, awarding damages of around ninety eight point four million dollars. Um, so the claim alleges that the placement of water rock at the Kumtor mine waste dumps is subject to tariffs normally applied to industrial or domestic waste. So basically, they want money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, they're like you owe us money. Um, so uh, uh, you know that's. Not to be, you know, I, and um, Sentara is always is fighting this on a regular basis, right? And we always, and they, they had some sort of uh, brouhaha with, uh, with uh, uh, what would it be, like the government entity that owns a portion of the mine or a portion of the company, I think it is. Um, 
And so they're always yelling back and forth. So anyway, so now this has happened, so they're going to fight this ruling. So just generally, there are just it's been a huge headache. And I, and I mentioned this. It was so funny. Uh, someone's actually writing this up, so there will be an article on this. But I talked to Scott Perry from Centera. Maybe this is like a month ago. And I was like, yeah, what's going on with that? And he's like, I think it's fine. And I'm like, oh, God, no, it's not fine. It's not fine. So it's uh, really interesting. But um, just so everyone has some background, because they're always like, well, this keeps happening to them, but nothing. It doesn't really have an impact on the mine. Like, it's just all it is is, like, corporate noise all the time. Because Cooper has been operating since 1997, produced over 10 million ounces of gold, Wow. And paid over one billion countries, uh, one billion dollars to the country's budget and social fund. So, like, quite a bit of money. Um, the operation accounts for up to ten percent of the country's GDP. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's uh, it's parastatal entity uh, remains the company's largest shareholder. So it is, they do hold a shareholder uh, a position in Centera, not in the mine, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the, uh, I think this was from Andrew Brushmanis from BMO. So he, he wrote, uh, given the importance of the mind of the country's economy and the technical challenges associated with its operations, um, sustaining, sustaining the mind would probably be a priority, he says. Um, but uh, so he says Santera should probably <laughs> gradually shift the portfolio towards more hospitable jurisdiction. <laughs> that's very, see, that's, I love that. That's very, that's a very nice way of saying Maybe you want to work, work where they don't raid your office <laughs> and yell at you all the time. So anyways, that, that's an interesting one to watch. I know uh, Selma's working on that today, so we'll probably have something up on that. Um, so that's our kind of our little stroll down uh, socio-political lane there just to check in on a few uh, jurisdictions <laughs> where if you're working, take a second look. So, <laughs> so I see the Colonia thing. We don't know what that's, what's going to happen with that. So yeah, that's, that's really crazy. interesting. Um, so the other thing I wanted to talk about briefly, uh, this has not been turned into an article yet. I uh, attended a investor sort of presentation from Oban Mining. So this is uh, sort of the new age. They call it, they literally call it a Cisco 2. Um, and one of the breaking things, I'm going to break something on air here. This is one of the, well, the people who are at the presentation know, but I'm assuming most of our listeners don't know, um, is that at the Oban Mining AGM on June 7th, they will officially be changing their name to a Cisco mining. Oh, really? Yeah. So Van, they're going to fully back to a Cisco ba- adopt the Cisco mining uh, uh, moniker and carry on like that. So uh, John Bersinski was there, who's president and CEO. And I also talked to Don Negavan, who's vice president, of new business development. Don's awesome. I think he used to be with Scotia, but or CIBC. Anyway, sorry, Don, I can't remember which. Um, but anyway, so Oban's interesting to me personally, because, um, you know, this is a pretty loaded group of management like it's pretty loaded management team right like they built the canadian malarctic mine they picked up a huge amount they did 14 deals last year i think a bunch of structural geos they have uh luke lassard who works at we talked about falco they're doing the horn project uh in rune naranda basically like it's all the same guys it's the same group of of team members right that that built canadian malarctic and did all that kind of stuff the same guys and girls who did all that so they did one of the oban thing is what john was telling me is they want to keep the team together or get the band back together as he said sounds fun get the band back together um so they have Let's over 75 million in cash and marketable securities and their two kind of flagships are the windfall lake property and the marban property 
property. So the Marvan property is like right in between Canadian Malarctic and Agni Eagles Gold X mine. Right. So it's right like smack dab, like uh, I think it's 15 kilometers west of Eldor, about. So that's that big hot gold area. There's so much stuff going on there. So what he said, uh, John said, was that they don't, there's like two mills right there, like Canadian, the two hungry mills, he said, so they don't really see it as a standalone operation. So they'll be looking at sort of monetizing that probably, or else doing some sort of, you know, milling it through uh, one of the one of the two guy, uh, companies that has mills there. Um, so interestingly, there's a new resource estimate due out on that in the second quarter coming up. So that's one of the things I'm kind of waiting on the article because there's a few pieces of news coming down in about two weeks, including that resource estimate, the All name right. change and some other stuff. So yeah. um, there'll be a bunch of cool stuff coming down. So their AGM's on June 7th. So that's probably around when I'll get in touch with them again. And, push it all forward. Um, but the Marban thing's interesting. Uh, they did 72,000 meters of drilling in 2015 there. Oh, wow, that's a lot. Yeah. Um, so they're going to update the resource based on that. Currently, it's at about, measured and indicated at about 1.5 million ounces at a grade of 1.48 grams. Gold deposits need a lot of drilling. Yeah, and well, that's what it, at Windfall, which is their, sort of their, I think it's more of a flagship, like they're looking at it more as a standalone. Yeah. Um, they're doing, uh, what are they doing this year? 55,000 meters. They're just about to wrap up there too. So they're doing like, they, he's like, they, we have the same team that drilled off Canadian Malarctic. And one of the things they said was interesting was they, they're all over brownfield sites, as we can tell by what they're working on. <laughs> like, like Marban, I think, had three pass-producing mines on it. Um, same with uh, Falco and Horns and Old Pass. Naranda had that, though it was more polymetallic. Um, so <laughs> it's funny because they said they brought back this, this idea, and they're like, well, everybody went through and kind of stripped out all the really high-grade stuff from all these mines, right? But they left all this, um, you know, potential for economic lower grade gold mines that you could you know high 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 tonnage gold mines and he said so they designed like a, a a system i don't know like if it was a leapfrog or whatever some sort of geostatistical system and they started reviewing these projects right and they're like which ones have the best potential for building a mine and he said canadian malarctic which is now owned by yamana and Igniko, um after gold corp tried to take it uh was number three on their list originally when oh, they yeah, came right. back and they ended up getting in and drilled so obscene. I forget the number, like a million meters or something obscene. They drew, they drilled the freaking heck out of it. So that's yeah. what they're doing again. So interesting. So they're renaming it as Cisco Mining. They have cash. The one thing they found interesting about this, and they, just as an aside, at Windfall they have uh, about another one and a half million ounces between indicated and inferred at about 8.4 grams gold. So it's more of an underground thing, I think. Mm-hmm. Um but interesting what they say, they're hoping to boost that up to 3 million ounces because that's what they view kind of as the critical mass they need to build the thing. Um, but yeah, one of the interesting things that they said was that um, they were a bit disappointed the gold price went up because <laughs> they oh, were really? hoping to do more deals because they said, oh. you know, because they did all their deals last year and it, he's like, it, it was literally the bottom of the market. Like we didn't know it was the bottom of the gold market when it was like under $1,100 gold, but they were buying all these things at that time, right? And he said, now everybody's kind of, their stock's gone up and everyone's feeling a bit better about themselves. Like, <laughs> everyone thinks they deserve a way higher premium. So he's like, yeah, we're probably not going to be doing too much right now. The because, window is closed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting group. Um, and I sort of like, the other thing is they have a lot of experience in Quebec and they have really good relationships with the Quebec funds and the government and stuff like that. So it's always interesting to see. That's why I said when we talked about Falco, I'm like, well, yeah, it's nearly a billion dollar capex, but if anybody can put that sort of capital together, it's probably 
Right. Ned Goodman um, and, and Sean and all those guys, right? So mm-hmm. um, it's interesting to watch. And uh, so, yeah, w- upcoming name change. So they will be going back to the Cisco mine. So we'll have a Cisco gold royalties and we'll have a Cisco mining. So it'll be two of them. So interesting. There we go. That's a that's an exclusive. Nobody. I don't know if many people know that yet, actually. So, um, but yeah, I did catch up with them. So we'll be doing more of an in depth, um, in depth piece on that coming up probably the first week of June, just as soon as we have a little bit more uh, time to talk. And I'm sure the Marban resource will be out. Some of their more drill results will windfall. So it'll be cool. So uh, we'll talk to them a little bit later. But just some uh, little uh, exclusive tidbits I picked up at the investor cool. conference that people might not know about. I think they were trading at about two bucks a share, up from about a dollar like six months ago. I just looking at stocks charts sometimes depresses me because I'm like, oh my god, if I bought this like yeah, <laughs> like literally some of these gold companies a month ago. Like I, I I wrote up Falco right. I don't know what it's trading at today. I'd have to double check. But when I I wrote them up and I think they were at like fifty five cents. And this was like it just it was in the paper this week, so it can't have been that. It must have been pretty recently. Um, but uh, now they're a dollar. And I'm just like, I think I'm in the wrong game. Maybe instead of, maybe instead of writing about these companies, I should just go out and buy them. Don't. And just don't tell anyone. Oh, my God. <laughs> that is not what we're about. Don't though. write them up. Yeah, maybe I should get my, like, my broker's license. I'm like, geez, I don't know. No, that would that. As soon as that happened, you know, like I'm sitting here, like as a as a writer, and I'm like, oh, these look like stock picking, ha. Huh? And then as soon as <laughs> I start going, I'm like, oh yeah, well, I'm gonna go pick some stock. I lose everything. Like I can sit here and be like, ah, oh, this is, I could totally do this, and then you go and do it, and it's just an absolute disaster. I guarantee, <laughs> guarantee, that would. That would. Um, but yeah, so it's I just look at some of those charts. But like we said, interesting. There's been some interesting pullbacks recently. Uh, so. Gold is an interesting one just because there is a bit of, a bit of uncertainty over the midterm pr- where the price is going to go. But, mm-hmm. I mean, we are down at, I don't know, there's another uh, break point at about 12.22, someone was saying. We seem to be hovering around it. So if it goes through. We've been hovering lately. Yeah. yeah in the past like, week or two. Um, so, yeah, let's get to some hashtags. Hashtags. Hashtag Twitter. Cool. Hashtag Twitter. All right. So we have a few here. Um, hilariously, this is pretty good. So... To start off, I have a tweet from Selma, uh, Selma Trick, our, uh, our staff writer in Toronto, and this is a, this is like about Columbia, and so this is a uh, not in relation to to uh, what, what we talked about previously with the Constitutional Court. This is um, um, Continental Gold, which has the, I think the Bertica property down oh, there. Oh, the Bertica. Yeah, I, I always pronounce it incorrectly. But uh, so they had. Um, they had tw- uh, put out a press release or, or phone give, given some a call. I'm not too sure wh- where she sourced it, but um, Colombia's plan to stop illegal mining has advanced 64% to date. Governor Luis Perez was quoted oh, as saying by uh, by Continental Gold. Mm-hmm. So this is that's interesting, and and uh, I actually got a tweet from somebody because I tweeted out the news on um, on the new the. Uh, constitutional court thing that happened in Colombia, and uh philip o'neill tweeted me back um and he is uh based in calgary energy and natural resource investment at uh i guess mp1 capital but anyway he tweeted me back he's like continental gold is only down 14 cents good luck with a re-energized coron antiqua who doesn't seem to answer to anybody so i assume that refers to the district in which Continental Gold project is so yeah. interesting. It's some of the uh, some of the interactions you get in 
uh, on Twitter are kind of interesting in that way because some people are like, well, what about this district? So you start to get some of it starts to come to the surface. So it'll be interesting. So, but apparently the <laughs> the governor is they're out helping the company take out illegal gold mining. So uh, it's something to look into. I'll, I'll have to have to take a look at that because it's interesting. Um, the next one we have is <laughs> uh, the gold sleuth tweeted. Uh, uh, this is something I'm actually looking to work on and uh, put an article out on. But Kinkora Copper consolidated the Mongolian Southern uh, Gobi Copper Belt. Okay, so this should, does this matter? Like, everyone's like, why does this matter? This matters because, very interestingly, um, so the transaction consolidated land holdings about 1,500 square kilometers. Um, so this is around Oyotogoi and all that, like all the prospective porphyry belts down there. Now, the interesting thing is this is with a deal with high power exploration hpx oh yeah so hpx is a privately owned company indirectly controlled by financier and mining entrepreneur robert friedland, robert friedland. who discovered ot mm-hmm. yeah through his uh, ivanhoe vehicle so he's back in mongolia so that, that always interests me because he's uh He's, they're going to be pounding out the drilling, I think, and there's some promising-looking porphyry stuff over there. That makes so. sense. My, I have some mates that work for those guys, and I was like, where are you going? They're like, over to Mongolia, Mongolia. but now we have to go home now yeah. because there's been, there was that issue there. Oh, put me in touch with them, actually. I need to uh, talk to them about that deal, maybe. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to look at that Concora thing, see what uh, HPX and uh, Concora Copper are going to be doing over in Mongolia. I did, as we, uh, you might recall, we uh, covered Irdeen Resources and their uh, Baron Kundi. Oh, yeah. Gold. Discovery over there uh, a couple, uh, last week or a week before. So anyway, back on to hashtags. Um, so one of the things, I, Leslie, you might have heard about this because you always have your ear to the ground on specifically on BC mining. Um, but there's something coming up where uh, BC Mines Minister Bill Bennett, there was, I think, an audit that happened and they there's this fund, funding gap on uh, liability and site reclamation that's about $1.2 billion. So, uh, and Bill Bennett, our, our mines minister here at BC, said he was caught off guard when he learned the province's mining companies are on the hook for less than half the amount that should be set aside to pay for potential cleanup costs. Oh, so I this is a new, seen. this is just, this is somewhat breaking, I think. Um, so uh, it's interesting because it says more than 50 mining operations, the majority of them either permanently shut down or temporarily shuttered. So these are not operational mines have been allowed by Mr. Bennett's ministry to provide security for only a portion of anticipated liability for site rec- reclamation with a total funding gap of $1.2 billion. So this is some uh, we've been hearing a little bit about this recently. So they're talking about policy changes and. So hopefully ah, the bonds might go up. We don't know. Right. So mm. we'll see. So that, that, that just came out of a recent audit, I think. So there, I guess, uh, Kootenai bill is probably scrambling <laughs> over there at the ministry office to uh, get that one going. So, um, moving on here, that's an interesting one. We'll take a look at that as well. That, that almost screams editorial to me, but we'll take a look at it. Um, yeah. so, uh, and then let's quote one directly from the Northern Miner, uh, run by our awesome social media team. Hi, Adrian. Um, so <laughs> Hi, Adrian. the Northern Miner, uh, we tweeted, this is actually kind of cool. Um, and this has been over a few different um, um, outlets and stuff. Because uh, we had, a, we had uh, a cool time putting out Heckla Mining's 125th anniversary edition. Uh, mm-hmm. Really cool magazine I'd recommend everyone check out. Um, but anyway, so Heckla Mining's record-setting number four shaft plunges 2,900 meters, which is about 9,600 feet below the surface. So uh, mining contractor cementation sunk the deepest mine shaft in the U.S. Cool. 
Uh, the record-setting shaft um, is at Hecla's Lucky Friday Silver Lead Zinc Mine uh, in northern Idaho, and as we mentioned, it, it's over 2,900 meters below surface. So it's kind of a cool one of our technology things. So this is the sh yeah. deepest shaft ever sunk. So they finished it all up. And there's actually, um, if you go to our site, there's uh, some coverage on it, some really cool pictures of of the team standing at the bottom of this epic shaft that, uh, Must be that they so just hot. completed. Oh yeah, think about that, right? I can't imagine. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, so that kind of wraps up our tweets of the week. So I think uh, we'll also wrap up the show because we're, I don't know. I have, Matt's got to like, go drink some water. I need, I need <laughs> hair of the dog, hair of the dog. And no red wine though. Um, so yeah, I, should, I don't ever have a timer. I don't even know how long our shows ever are. Um, but <laughs> so good. thanks very much for tuning Thank in. We do, uh, we do value your listenership. Uh, this has been the Northern Miner podcast mm -hmm. and I am Matthew Keeble with Leslie Stokes. Have a great week. Cheers.